Uh, hello, everybody. Hello. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34. Four. Psalm 34. Uh, let's start. And of course, we'll start with prayer and be grateful to God for uh, the Word and for Him and uh, to, with humility before him, uh, be ready to learn his truth. So with that, let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And thank you for prayer, for so many things, if we could not say it all, that you have given us by gift, not of our merit, that you have given, like the royal family of God, uh, but most importantly, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is because of him that we can stand before you. It is in his name that we can pray to you. It is by means of him that we have life and that we have you as our Father and can confidently call you Father. Um, we thank you for him. We thank you for his incredible sacrifice, for the Holy Spirit within us, for the Trinity, and, and just for your love and grace and mercy that every day is poured upon us more than we know. And so we ask, Father, that through your Spirit our hearts would be enlightened, that if we have lost joy, that it would re be restored. If we have lost peace, that that would be restored. And of course, by your word is by your truth that we must live. So we ask, Father, again that you enlighten us, and we ask in Christ's name, amen. Um, so we've gotten to uh, the kind of the mechanics of prayer Uh and just what we mean by that, and there's nothing really mechanical about it, is the method that we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and by the Holy Spirit. And we're, we're going to work. We're going to look at what "in the name of the Son" means, and then we'll see the function of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Uh, which, of course, like everything about the Trinity, the what's revealed about the Holy Spirit is the least amount out of the three persons of the Trinity, uh, but uh, <clears throat> all of it, all of them, of course, and all of this is all tied together. So, as we established yesterday, there are a few passages that some have construed to uh, qualify or to justify praying to the Son. Uh, we looked at those, and I don't think any of them really hold water all that much. Um, 
But again, you're a believer priest. You're responsible for your knowledge of the Word of God. If you want to pray to the Son, uh, that's your prerogative. Uh, but by the Word of God, we see more and by far many more passages that instruct us to pray to the Father. And so we pray to the Father. Today we want to understand, and we'll return to this, the asking in his name. Uh, in my name, of course, in John 16, 23, means the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. That <clears throat> it's A couple of things stand out here, you know, uh, but I think the one most of all is the word anything. Uh, that means anything. And so because of this, people look at a verse like this uh, because of what? Because when we pray for anything, we don't get it. So we look at a verse like this and we say, well, you know, either we don't understand it or we just kind of throw it by the wayside. Uh, but uh, what we have to do, and, and notice it starts with truly, truly. And the Lord would say this, uh, the Greek is amen, amen. And verily, verily, truly, truly. Uh, and it means that it's a, an important thing. You know, what he's saying is important. And if this is important, then we need to understand it. Uh, and there's no, there's no truly, truly that our Lord has ever said that we couldn't understand. I mean, there's some things in the Scripture that we will not understand in this life, but not things to which he attaches this in the front so, uh, <clears throat> the name of the Son, therefore, yeah, and we, we ask the Father, is that the key? Uh, well, you know, of course, we have to address the Father, all right. But the, the thing here is the name, and that's where we find the key to this. Praying in the name of the Son is three things. Uh, first off, the, it, it's what it means and what it needs to mean to us when we say it. This has to be to us much more than just tacking on this phrase at either the front or the end of your prayer. And just, you know, we're busy people with busy lives and all kinds of stuff we're on our way doing. We finally get our prayers done. Even to say the word finally means that you're probably in a rush and you're saying in Jesus' name, amen, and I'm on to the next thing. Pause for a second. I, I do this all the time now. Uh, pausing at the end of your prayer. That, I always say in Jesus or in Christ's name at the end. Uh, <clears throat> mine is always at the end. Uh, and it doesn't matter. Actually, we're not even instructed to say the words. Just so you know. You know there's, there's no command that says every time you pray to God, say this. Uh, but... <clears throat> the um, the time it takes to ponder these three things before you close your prayer is about a minute and a half to two uh, at the tops three. I mean, certainly you could dwell in any one of them for ten minutes to an hour. I don't know. But it takes no time at all. And like if you need, if your book's so tight that you need to say in Jesus' name, amen, as fast as you possibly can, your book too tight. <laughs> you need to slow down. We have plenty of time for this. It's a life from the kingdom of darkness that we don't have time. So 
praying in the name of the Son means three things. We can only pray because of the cross. It is the only reason we can pray. And that's something that needs to be remembered all the time. Why should we forget the cross of our Lord ever? Uh, so <clears throat> we need to remind ourselves of that is through the incredible sacrifice of our Lord, through his pain and suffering, his being judged for the sins of the world, his being forsaken by the Father for us or on our behalf uh, is the only reason that we can call God Father. Secondly, we're before the Father as representatives of the Son. We represent Him. So we need to be uh, uh, respectful and, and uh, in worship. Worship means respect. It means faith. It means um, not being disrespectful. It means not being pro- proud or arrogant. Uh, and to um, follow the protocol. Uh, that we are too. It means to be humble. Uh, it means to be, you know, bowing the knee before God in great reverence and humility. And I always, as I always qualify that, you can bow the knee in your soul if you can't bow the knee physically. And then finally, obedience to the will of the Father. And this does not in any way mean that prayer is some kind of works thing, is that we are to pray according to God's will. So we're not just to say God's will, we're to live God's will. And we'll address the sin thing today too, the sin issue. So all three of these are involved and, you know, to take a minute or two at the end of prayer to see this is to thank the Father. Because in the first one, there's thankfulness. In the second one, there's your attitude, your attitude towards God. Is it flippant? Is it, are you a little brat before God like a kid? Or are you respectful and in awe and in worship and fearful, in fact? And that's in the second one. And in the third one is an adjustment to my will and desire. Do I follow his will? And even after I have asked what I've wanted to ask, but when I get to the end of my prayer and I say, in Christ's name, So, you know, have what I asked, am I really in the will of God? And it makes all the difference in the world. It makes a huge difference to take a few minutes to take inventory at the end of prayer or at the beginning to adjust, if need be, to examine and adjust will and desire and attitude rather than just hurriedly moving on to the next thing. Whatever you have prayed for, and what, that was time in communication with God. Even if you were adoring him or seeking him or seeking his explanation of his word. Um, hold on, my computer wants to restart. <laughs> All right, kingdom of darkness. So, um, yeah, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And it's only a minute or two. It doesn't take much. Slow down. Slow down. Right? We, we, we hear our Lord speak to us about, you know, stop being so worried and bothered. What he says to Mary, uh, to, well, to Martha, Martha, you're so worried and bothered about so many things. And he says one thing is important. One. And Mary has chosen it. What is Mary doing? 
She's not so concerned about the dinner. She's taken some time to listen to the Lord, and she's not in a rush. Plenty of time. So uh, let's look at Psalm 34. These are all in his in the name, right? I'm just going to we'll run through some psalms in, in a prophecy. Psalm 34, 1. A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Uh, David was uh, in to be killed. David had to flee, fleeing from Saul. He had no choice but to go into the land of the Philistines. He's stuck in the lands of the Philistines. Guess what he's wearing on his belt? Goliath's sword, who's Philistine, and uh, whom he killed. And his way to get out of it, to survive, was to pretend that he was crazy. And he writes, and he was delivered. And he writes this song of thanksgiving to God. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. So we see the fear of the Lord here at the the end. It's not the whole thing, but uh, the fear of the Lord is respect. It's awe, it's reverence. Uh, the Lord will deliver, but not the proud. What does God make with the proud? War. This is clear. God makes war with the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and the humble fear him. Not afraid of him, but fear him. Um, and in his name is in verse 3. Let us exalt his name together. Is it just the name? Is it Yavah or Jehovah, however you want to pronounce it? Is that what we exalt? Is the sound of the word? No, of course not. It is in reference to his person. And the person has a character, a certain character that we exalt. And he has a character of saving, of delivering, of redeeming. Not the proud, but the humble. And so he is good. And so we exalt what? His name. All right, Psalm 66. Verse 1. For the choir director, a song, a psalm. Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God how awesome are thy works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Right? So you see, and there are dozens more of these. We could we could be reading them all day. That the name is associated with the person, 
It's not just a name. In our day and age, in modern Western society, names don't really mean much. They're just identifiers. Uh, they're, they're, uh, but here, in, in when it, especially when it comes to God, the name is quality. It's a quality of character. So, sing the glory of his name, and at the end, sing praises to his name, or in verse 4. Go to 69, Psalm 69, 34. Psalm 69, 34. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it, and the descendants of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell in it. So it's obviously not love the sound of his name or how it's spelt, like we do in our day and age. You say, well, you know, your baby's name is going to be so-and-so, and people go, oh, I love that name, you know. It has nothing to do with character, but with God's name, it has everything to do with character. We don't just love his name, we love his person. And notice in these Psalms and in many others, many other places, the name is the person, the person is the name. We glory in the name, we sing to the name, we love the name, we fear the name. Uh, and in Psalm 69, 34, it says, Heaven and earth will praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. Like the whole earth is going to praise him. In the New Testament in Philippians 2, we have every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And that will happen. And so we, as his children, have the opportunity to do that now because we know him. We can adore him. We can love him because he loves us. Now, you might say here that, well, you know, Psalm, uh, verse 35 is about Zion and the cities of Judah. What has that got to do with me? Never think that the promises of Israel are not promises to you. Because the, although the church is not Israel, we are not covenant theologians here or replacement theologians, but the church is not Israel, but Israel's salvation is our own. And what I mean by that is if God is not faithful to the covenants given to Israel, he, none of us are saved, none of us. And it's not just because it makes God, quote-unquote, a liar, which, of course, he is not. But the promise to Abraham right at the beginning in Genesis 12 was that as God was faithful to him to fulfill the covenant to Abraham, the promise to Abraham, that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And through your seed, in the singular, the world would be blessed. And the Lord Jesus Christ would come through Abraham. Uh, so, yeah, the salvation of Israel is the salvation of the world. Uh, I, I can't wait for all the anti-Semites to see that. And they will. They will. Uh, Psalm 96. Psalm 96, look at verse 7. You, and I hope you can see here, we're going to do a whole section on this. It might take us a week or so. I don't care how long it takes. But uh, we're going to look at how we can pray from the Psalms. You can see how you can do it here. If you picked any of these psalms to just read and you prayed them uh, or a part of them, uh, you would learn greatly. There's another thing that comes as a benefit of that. When you turn to the psalms to pray, 
you're going to find things that you wouldn't normally pray about. And that's a good thing. Psalm 96, verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and coming to come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Uh, holy attire means the, the wear of the priest, and we are all priests. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. The name needs to be ascribed with or um, thought of, reckoned to have glory. All right, Psalm 100. We had Thanksgiving coming right around the corner. This is a psalm of Thanksgiving. Psalm 100. A psalm for Thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. Beautiful song. And there's one you could memorize. It would do you some. It would it would serve you well. Uh, <clears throat> so this, you know, this enter his gates uh, in his courts with praise. It's a famous hymn. Uh, but give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. So, we're coming to the Father in the name of the Lord. Right? This is what we're, this is what we're doing. We're glorifying that name. And that shouldn't be just uh, in Jesus' name, amen. We're glorifying that name. Which means a little reflection and thought needs to go into it. Uh, and... I mean, it, it doesn't mean that you have to be there for hours thinking about the name of Jesus. It just means don't neglect what it means. Uh, again, Jesus didn't tell us to say his name in prayer. He said to do prayer in his name. All right? There's something about that that is not just tacking it on. Uh, you know, as some believe, I, I keep mentioning this, but... Uh, that you can just say the name of Jesus and the Father has to do whatever you want. And it made me think today, if you know that old, older movie, Beetlejuice, which, uh, a favorite of mine for, with Michael Keaton, in the movie, if you said Beetlejuice's name three times, he had to appear. Right? He's like some ghost from another world. But if you say Beetlejuice, 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 he has to show up. And, it, and like some people think, that, you know, if I say in the name of Jesus, God has to show up and do what I want. Like I rubbed, I found the genie in the bottle, you know, and I and I rubbed it. And God is not at your beck and call. We'll find out that the Holy Spirit is not at our beck and call either. Uh, that is a ridiculous thing. It should be quite the other way around. All right, two more. Go to Isaiah seven. We turn to the prophet. And the two great prophecies concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, ascribe or are ascribed to his name. Uh, 
Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This was said to King Ahaz, who was asked to ask the Lord anything. This actually is, um, now that I think about it, this is a quite a, a good point concerning prayer. Ahaz was evil. He's a king of Judah, a southern kingdom. He was evil. And Isaiah came to him and said, Look, Ahaz, ask the Lord for any sign and he'll give it to you. And Ahaz said, Well, I don't want to bother the Lord. In other words, Ahaz didn't want to ask the Lord for a sign because he was an idol worshiper. He didn't care about the God of Israel. And so he kind of made some excuse. I don't need to ask him for a sign. You know, it's arrogant of me to ask him for a sign. And so Isaiah's response was amazing. Isaiah says, well, if you won't ask for a sign, you know what? We're going to give you one anyway. The Lord, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God with us? What does that mean? Well, thankfully, we have John chapter 1. Let's say that. In the beginning was the Word, was God, and the Word in John 1.14 came and dwelt among us, Emmanuel. Uh, but notice, his name is Emmanuel. Uh, Emmanuel is a hypostatic union, right? God with us is God as a man, God in our midst. And so his name is the man, God, or God-man. All right, so that's part of his name. It's very important. All right, Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Right? This is read every Christmas message, every Christmas at church. The Notice the names, though. First off, the government will rest on his shoulders. It pulls all of, the, all of these names or these accounts of him are all about what he accomplishes, right? This is about what he does. This child born of a virgin will do all these things. But when it comes to God... Uh, you know, I, you and I may get lucky and do something great. Don't take that the wrong way. Uh, uh, you know, what we do is not always a uh, reflection of our inner character. Uh, we can do a lot of things that, you know, inwardly were different than what you see. Uh, when it comes to God, what he does is what he is. It, they're never separate. It's actually what he says is the same as what he is. And what he does is what he is. God loves, God is love. God gives life, God is life. God gives light, God is light. And so here, these things are aspects of his nature. He is, all the government will rest on his shoulders. He is the sole foundation of the kingdom of God. Uh, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. He is the only comforter of our souls. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. He is the Creator, the one powerful to save, and who sits at the right hand of the Father until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. 
He is the eternal Father. He's the eternal one, one with the Father, who has given Himself to us so that we could enter into that relationship of love and joy in the eternal life of the Trinity, as He prayed in John 17. He is the one who has broken down every wall. He's the Prince of Peace. And therefore, He's the Prince of our salvation. The author and perfecter of our faith. And these are all His names. So the name means a lot. And so when we pray in His name, take your time there. Slow down and give it some thought. The more you do this, the more you will love to do this. To share with the Father the name of the Son. It's you communicating to the Father and the Father with you about the merits of the Son of God. It sounds to me like something that would be wonderful to talk about and probably far more edifying and important than the stuff we normally talk about. So go to Ephesians 5. Because the name of the Son is in fact now... Ours. Like we are, what, called Christians. We're in Him and He's in us. Jesus is our husband. He's our friend. He's our Lord. He's our Savior, our Master. And, you know, so now we have taken upon ourselves this name. And that's why we come to the Father in this name. But as Paul writes here, and as I told you before, outside of John 14, 15, and 16, this is the only place where we find that we're to do things in his name. But this is a significant place. So Ephesians 5, 15, be, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Right? Or it's really the, the Greek word is watch where you're going. And this takes us back to chapter 4, verse 1. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So here we have, we have the unity of us to God in, in that we uh, come to the Father and thank Him uh, in the name of the Son, in the name of the wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Eternal Father, on whose shoulders rest all governments. Um, It's in that name that we thank the Father for all that He has given us. And we're subject to one another. And And this flows from, and it's kind of, it's the same subject. Everything we talk about is really the same subject. But uh, when we learn God's love for us, we love one another. When we learn God's union with us, we find our union with one another. God initiates our unity. Uh, and so, but and for us, that unity means that we also pray for one another. 
and not just because we're told to, but because we want to. And as my wonderful friend uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's home with the Lord, and no, I haven't ever met him, but he he died before I was born. But uh, <clears throat> as he said, you know, uh, in in his book on, um, it's called Living Together. It's the title of it. That he talks about intercessory prayer, and he says you cannot hate the one that you pray for. I mean, if you if you're really praying for him, not just going through the motions. You cannot hold a grudge or hate the one that you are asking the Father to bless. And he points out how intercessory prayer is as good for you as it is for the ones that you're praying for. It promotes unity. And, and so, uh, a few things here. First, everything we do is in the name of the Son. Uh, be careful how you walk. That's your whole life. In, in, in that, on those few words, Paul, walk means our whole conduct, our whole life. Uh, be careful to do it in wisdom, not as unwise. Uh, <clears throat> understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish. So conduct your life in the, as a wise person in the will of the Father. That's your whole life. <clears throat> so a contrast is here is made, which have been... It had been way more impactful, I think, when Paul wrote it in the first century than it is to us. And this is getting drunk with wine. This, <clears throat> this word dissipation, asatia, uh, was, it's a well-known word from that time to mean uh, debauchery, uh, you know, these massive, this is Rome. It's Roman and Greek culture where there were massive drinking, sexual, uh, uh, false god worshiping parties in various forms. They were all they were very uh, pervasive, and that's what Paul means here. And so the uh, the the life of dissipation, Paul draws a contrast to that, to the life of wisdom walking in the will of God. He's drawing a contrast. He's purposely picking the drunk with wine. Because, you know, we always ask or have asked, why does he pick drunk with wine and not other sins? Or why doesn't he just give us a whole list of sins like he does in Galatians 5? Uh, but he, he picks out this one because he is displaying a uh, riotous uh, life of one who is worldly. And the worldly, we talked about this before, even though we're Christians and saved from the world, that we're, we can still become involved in it and become um, despondent. Uh, we can become uh, bored and uh, sorrowful, and, and, and I mean in a bad way, we can become sinful. And to what we tend to do with that is to self-anesthetize with something. And, and we, we try to cope with the misery that's in our hearts with some physical thing that's offered to us in the world, whether it be alcohol or drugs or some form of entertainment or just distracting ourselves with something. And, uh, and that's what Paul is bringing out here. All of that is in view here is that there's a life that is outside of the life of the saved. And this is eternal life. 
And then, so what is this, the thing of eternal life? Well, it's amazing here that he brings up psalms and hymns and songs. Because at the revelrous Roman parties of the first century, there were plenty of singing. Right? It's, it's a party. You know? They're singing songs and, 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 you know, but it's not, they're not spiritual songs. And it's not that we're, you know, we can't, uh, have fun at a party and sing songs and and drink if if you can handle it you know if you don't have a problem with alcohol it, it, alcohol is not a sin in the Bible excessiveness is drunkenness is uh, and and so but but what Paul is pointing out here is the difference between the life of dissipation and the life of wisdom under the will of God. And this is to be done in the name of the Lord. And so we get a hint here as to what it is to be praying in the name of the Lord because we do everything in his name. And that can be nothing else besides obedience. In his name is obedience to his person, to the character of his person. And singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord would be an aspect of prayer. Your thanksgiving to the, to the Father, your adoration of Him. And so in the name of the Lord Jesus is obedience to Him since we're to do everything in His blessed and holy name. So, what if we are? However, as we look at this, we'll say, well, you know, I do what, if there's a contrast between the life of dissipation and the life of wisdom and obedience, Right? Know what the will of the Lord is. Not just know it, but live under it. That, uh, you know, sometimes I find myself on the wrong side of this line. What if we are unwise or foolish, or we do get drunk, or fall under some other sin that is reckless, abandoned, and debauchery, which is another meaning of this word, uh, dissipation. First, we have to set the record straight. Something that is just hopefully to you a reminder that we will suffer for every sin. Every one. Our Christian fellowship, meaning church, marriage, and family, will suffer for every sin. I say, well, I did the sin in private and no one was around. Still, you will cause harm to you and to your fellowships. When I say fellowships, plural, I mean church, family, and marriage. Uh, friendships, I guess you could throw in there too. The more often we sin, the more suffering we will cause to ourselves and to others. And the more often we sin, the more bad habits we will form and the more addictions we will fall into. And no sin is exempt from this. There are some sins that are covered up more easily than others. Debauchery and drunkenness is not easily covered up. But sins of the mind are like pride, bitterness, jealousy, lust, self-justification, self-promotion, feelings of superiority, judging, and on and on. They sit on the shelf of sin right next to drunkenness and all forms of debauchery, which are of the so-called sins of the body. We hurt ourselves and hurt others and hurt our relationship with God. And I would add, never think that so-and-so's sins are worse than yours. Oh, their sins are worse than mine. 
from even the shortest pedestal that we stand upon, that we make ourselves more important than others, you promote yourself and you become a judge. And therefore, you will be unable to serve anyone from that little... I don't care if your pedestal is an inch high. Get off it. Paul said, I'm the worst sinner who ever lived. I think all of us need to have that attitude. Paul wrote, Philippians 2, consider one another, he didn't say just some, one another as more important than yourself. If we don't do that, we're going to live outside the will of God. If we don't do that, we're not going to serve anybody. And so we cannot be in the will of God with any pride. All right, that said, and that said, and then that was said. Can the one who has sinned pray to the Father in heaven in the name of the magnificent Son? And the answer is most definitely. But first, we have to correct thinking. Uh, part of the, you know, in his name means that I represent the Lord to the Father. I cannot come to the Father in sin. Sinning, if you will. This, whatever it is, bitterness, pride, drunkenness, whatever, it has to be stopped before you can go and talk to your Father. Uh, so first, there must be, as David states in Psalm 51:17, a broken and contrite heart. This is not that we have to feel sorry for our sins to be forgiven. We're forgiven of all sins through the blood of Christ. But it's a proper attitude of a person who has broken God's law of life, a person who loves the law and loves the lawgiver. David writes in Psalm 51:17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. David in this psalm says you don't even want the burnt offering. Though he's going to offer it anyway, as he must under the Mosaic law, he's going to bring the animal for the burnt offering, which is a sin offering. But he says here, as what Israel was doing, is saying, well, so what? I broke God's law. It just cost me a sheep. What do I care? I broke God's law. It just cost me a lamb. What do I care? It cost me, even if you were poor, you could sacrifice a pigeon. Just go find a bird somewhere and sacrifice that. And in fact, at one point in Israel's history, they were taking the sick and the lame animals who were about to die anyway, and they were offering them to God. And they were saying, you know, yeah, sure, I sin. Just make the offering and let's get on with our lives. They missed it. And that's when God says to them, it's in Isaiah 1, he says, stop. Stop bringing your offerings. They make me want to throw up. Stop. So you don't understand what you're doing. So we go to 1 John chapter 1. Again, it's not that we have to feel sorry for our sins to be forgiven. That You know, that... In, in that, you've got those who are walking around. Um, I don't know if they're walking around. Are they, you know, going through life with this kind of false uh, contriteness? You know, woe is me. Let me tell you about. Oh, I'm so low. I'm such a sinner, and blah blah blah. Confess it and pick up your head and move on. You know, as Jesus said, you know, if. Don't be like those who, when they fast, they put on the glum face and they walk around telling you how hungry they are. He says, wash your face, make sure nobody knows. And then fast. Right? And it's the same way with this. 
We're forgiven. We're to live with joy and courage and power. But every one of us in this room and every person on this planet, seven plus billion of them, are sinners to the core. However, for us who have been saved from our sins, because of our faith in Christ as our Savior, we are not to continue in sin. But of course, as John does, does us a great service here, he tells us that we're never going to get to a place where we are sinless consistently. So 1 John 1.5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It couldn't have a stronger negative here in the Greek. It means absolutely not an ounce, an iota, a molecule of darkness is in God. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So in verse 6 is significant. It says if we, uh, the, the ones who walk in darkness in the context of this epistle are false teachers. That's what the whole epistle is about. Uh, these false teachers are claiming to be Christian. They're claiming to be in Christ, but they're not. And he's warning the people that, he, that he's written to that only those who walk in the light have fellowship and can have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the darkness... We lie. If we say we have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, we lie. So then he says in verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not within us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So in verse 8 are those who say they have no sin, were never born with it. They are deceiving themselves and don't have the truth. In verse 10, these are ones who say they do not sin, whether they did before or not. But they say currently they don't sin anymore. And it says that we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then John says, look, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive. And why can he forgive? Well, getting back to verse 7, Jesus, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleansed us from all sin. So our confession is not getting God's forgiveness. We're forgiven by the blood of Christ, but our confession is claiming that forgiveness. And that's the only reason we would forgive, uh, sorry, confess. Are you going to go tell freely, tell God what your sins are? Or just in general confess your sins or acknowledge your sins if you think that you're going to go to hell because of them? I mean, I'm going to take a chance and maybe not tell God any of these things. Try and hide them? Try and tell myself I don't have them? And there's all kind of manner of things that I'll get involved in if I don't understand that I am forgiven completely. Passage after passage in the New Testament tells us this. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And our sins have been nailed to the cross, haven't been taken away, uh, no longer counted by God, cast as far as the east is from the west. So yeah, we 
confess and do so freely. But John is certainly telling us here that we are sinners, but we are sinners cleansed by the blood of Christ. However, if we walk in darkness, as John says here, we don't have fellowship with one another. Unless we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we don't fellowship with one another. And the reason why is simple. Sin does not fellowship. Sin seeks itself, not others. Sinners can fellowship, those who, and they're generally those who uh, like the same kinds of sins, but that is not the fellowship of light. That is a fellowship of darkness. It's not the same thing. So since we're all sinners, therefore, how could we fellowship with each other and walk in a manner worthy of our calling? And therefore, we have the key here is confess and then to walk in the light. And I put and in all capitals there because to confess or acknowledge sins and not seek change, not to stop or to continue in them, is to do nothing. Um, And it is not because, remember, it's walking in the light that is the end goal here. It's repeated by Paul in, in Ephesians 5 that we're children of light and therefore we're commanded to walk in the light. So confessing or acknowledge our sins to God allows us to claim his grace and forgiveness. I'm forgiven and therefore I can stop. I don't mean forever. But there, if we continue in sins and develop patterns of sin, like I said, and we develop habits of sin and therefore addictions to certain kinds of sin, we can admit them all we want, but we never break the pattern. That's the, whole, that's the whole wonderful cleansing freedom of confession is that I'm not hiding it from God. This, whatever it is, is a problem. And all of us have them. All of us tend to go certain ways. So, and that's why someone reading Ephesians 5.18 who has not the least desire to get drunk with wine or anything else for that matter says, well, yeah, I've got no problem here. But what else of dissipation do you tend towards or trend towards? Because all of us do. Now, some believers confess their sins and fail to strive to walk in the light of the Word of God. They confess, they've been told to confess. The Corinthians were quite good at this. To confess but do nothing. To follow God, it takes diligence, it takes study, it takes prayer, it takes fighting the good fight of faith. And believers fail to do that, but are willing to confess. And we must remember here, just as we've said, that confession is important. It's important for recognizing patterns and self-cleansing, if you will. But it is never depicted in the scriptures as a mean of gaining something from God. Does confession merit something from God? It obviously does not. And confession also is not a light switch that turns the Holy Spirit on and off. We are never told in the scripture that we control the Holy Spirit. That he's in us and as soon as we confess a sin, he's like, oh, it's, again, it's like saying Beetlejuice three times and the Holy Spirit has to show up. Just because I said it. We're never told this, 
the Holy, the filling of the Spirit is not mentioned at all in First John. Uh, and so the confession is not a light switch. We're not under, sorry, he's not under our control. But we're under his. And also, the command to be filled with the Spirit that we just read in Ephesians 5. <laughs> oh, but I got a phone call yesterday and now I'm getting one today. You could just hang that up, Alan. That's a spam call. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> ask Kingdom of Darkness again. He's, he's, got, our, he's got our number, if you will. Uh, the command to be filled with the Spirit is a passive verb, not an active. It's a passive command. It's be filled with the Spirit. It is not fill yourself with the Spirit. That would be an active command. It's not. It's passive. Passive means that the action happens to me. So we don't turn them on and turn them off with confession. But that does not mean that confession is not important. Confession is often the beginning of the process that turns you from grieving the Spirit to seeking the will of God. Do not, that's in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we stop grieving Him? We stop sinning. And to do that, we confess. But that's the beginning of the process. Uh, what our confession does, and Jesus said this in John 3, that evil hates the light. What confession does is drag our sins into God's light. The word confession, homo legeo, is literally means, homo means the same and legeo means to say. And it really means to say the same as God. I agree with you that I have broken your law. I agree with you that I have, I have sinned against you. And when I drag my sin into his light, it dies away from me. And eventually, it dies away from our conscience. And our consciousness. It, it is amazing to me how I can do the most terrible things, and I have done the most terrible things, and yeah, none of your business. And yet, I can presently... Seek God with vigor and without guilt and to have confidence before him. And that has to be a supernatural thing. Because there's no way that I could be twin. And I have a, a, at least an inkling of how holy and pure and righteous he is. And yet I can pursue him and stand confidently before him because of the blood of Christ. And I've got, just like you do, I've got things in my past, and they could be as recent as yesterday. And yet, you know, that are embarrassing to me, that, uh, that, are, that make me disgusted, that make me hate myself if I dwell on them. And yet, I don't hate myself. And if you're walking with God, neither do you. And in fact, God instills in us incredibly this sort of, not, in, not a sinful pride, but a, but a spiritual pride and confidence in that our God has made something wonderful of us. And each of us are different. We didn't make us all widgets. He gave us spiritual gifts and ministries that have varieties to them. None of us do the same things. None of us pray the same words. None of us even have the same mental pictures in our mind when it comes to the truth. But yet we share all of those things 
And God gives us this wonderful confidence. How is that possible? And I know, I know from the word of God why it's possible. As Paul writes that the spirit bears witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also. It's the Holy Spirit within us that gives us assurance. So drag your sins into the light. Does it mean they're all going to go away and you're never going to do it again? No. But if you keep dragging it into the light, you are going to have way more success at overcoming. Hiding it away, self-justifying it, making excuses, blaming other people. It's, you know, I, I have to do this. I was born this way. That kind of nonsense. Justification. Drag it into the light that is God. And the light. It's like the, uh, the creatures and uh, the orcs. And uh, when I do Beetlejuice today, let's do uh, Lord of the Rings. The orcs, they can't stand the sunlight. Right, now, J-R-R, I don't know why he has three initials. I can't stand when people do that. Just have a name. I'm just kidding. J.R.R. Tolkien, when he wrote, that's a spiritual um, allegory. And the orcs and, and Saruman is, you know, they're dark. Sauron is the, the evil one. They're in darkness. And the orcs, these terrible, awful creatures that come from the earth. Right? There's imagery there. They're earthly. And they can't, when they get in the light, their skin burns and they die. And that is what we do when we confess. So, what about the filling of the Spirit? We're going to get to it after we're done with prayer. We're going to look at the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's our faith and obedience that allow the Spirit to fill us. Fill, again, it is a passive verb. In your faithfulness and in your obedience, then God is able to do with you. Right? This is where, when by faith and obedience, you become a vessel of honor. An honorable vessel that God can mold and use. And it doesn't mean, so like, you know, we thought in the past that we just confess a sin and then there we go. This, the lights are on and the Spirit can use us. And I always wondered why the Spirit didn't use me. And it was because I wasn't obedient. And I'm not, and I'm, you know, some people, they get their doctrines from experience. And I'm careful about that. It, the experience of a person does not make a doctrine. This makes a doctrine. Right? It has to come from here. And all, as we looked in Ephesians, starting in chapter 4, all the way to the end, it was do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, walk like this, don't walk like that, behave like this, don't behave like that. Be careful how you walk. There's no confession of sin mentioned at all in the whole book. But does that mean we throw confession out? Some people have done that. I find that to be a, a terrible error. Uh, no. Drag it before God. As John says, we confess, where are we bringing it? To the God who is faithful and just, who forgives and cleanses. He has done so through, for us through the blood of Christ. Bring it there and let God burn it off you. So confession is the start when we find that we're grieving the Spirit with our sin. Being honest. Not hiding it, not justifying it, not blaming someone else. This, all sin that you commit and I commit, 
are all on me. And say, God, or, or to anybody, I got angry at them because they said to me, blah, 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 blah. Now, should they have said all that to you? Probably not. Would anybody in the world say your anger was justified? Sure. There would probably be a lot of them. But would God ever say your anger is justified? Never. Here, turn the other cheek. Give him the cloak. Pray for your enemies. Do good to them. Yeah. So who's the sin on? It's on me. I shouldn't have done that. All right. So you confessed it, right? I, it's my fault, it's my sin, I have confessed it to God. He's the only one you can be truly open with. Because he sees everything. And then you're at a far better place to make the changes. Because, say, the anger thing is your issue. I've got an anger thing. I've got many things. (laughs) I know we all do, but I've got an anger thing. And I cannot justify that anger. It's got to go. Like forever. Does it mean I'm never going to fall into it again? No, it doesn't mean that. But there is no justification for it. Hence, I confess it to God openly. I mean, plainly without excuse. And then at least, and then from that point, I can start to do the things that will overcome the anger. If I have excuses in my heart, I am not at the place where I can overcome because I've deceived myself. You can only overcome with pure truth. Truth is alive and powerful. Not my false little excuses. They are not. So, the in the name of the Son means obedience. Uh, and so as we look, continue it, and I just got a minute here, just read through it quick, and I think we'll pick it up here again tomorrow. This, now we've seen uh, walk in the light and fellowship. God has no darkness. Yes, you're a sinner, but confess your sins. And now, First John 2, 1. There's no chapter breaks in the original. This thought continues. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. See that? I'm not writing these things to you so that you can sin and confess and sin and confess and sin and confess. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours only, but also for those of the whole world. See that verse 2? That is the unlimited atonement. Undeniable. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Right? So you see that phrase, truth is not in him? That's what he said back in verse 1. The one who says he has no sin, the truth is not in him. The one who says he keeps God's commandments or the one who says I know him but I don't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him the love of God has truly been matured or perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who abides in the one who says he abides in him, abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Alright? So full circle, we call this an inclusio. We have the beginning of a thought, walk in the light, 
And the end of the same thought is walk in a manner that He walked. Jesus walked. And everything in between is about that. So it's a literary device. And we have to read the Scripture that way. Because it's written that way. That's why picking a verse out here and picking a verse out here, it can do you some great harm because you false interpret. Walk and walk. Paul did the same thing. Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy. 5.17, be careful how you walk. And everything in between is about the walk. And the same thing is here. And so this obedience in walking as he walked comes to us in this term that Paul puts in Ephesians 5, in his name. So, what does this mean now? Well, if I just say, in Jesus' name, I can get anything. No. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. When you're obedient and in the will of God, and where is obedience in the will of God? It's in here, in the Word of God. You will be asking God for things, anything, in his will. And then you get anything. So, is anything anything? It's any good thing. But it's not anything that you want. Because we're all little brats. (laughs) Who want what we want and want it when? When do we want it? And now! Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for uh, revealing to us the truth that is so abundantly clearly written in your word and it's, it's here for us to return to it time and time again. And we know, Father, we don't know all of it. There's, we, we went through a lot of passages today, and we know that we don't know everything that's written there. But we will return to them again and again throughout our lives and glean more and more because your word is alive and powerful. We ask, Father, that you enlighten our hearts concerning our prayer to you in Jesus' name in our obedience to you to do everything in our lives in his name, to impress upon our hearts the importance of confession, but to not give it more than it is able to do. So clarify for each of us, Father, that we may walk more wisely with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.